You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. Bogus WannaCry remediation apps are hitting the Play Store, more on the complexities of WannaCry attribution, and Eternal Rock's worm may have been withdrawn by its authors. Citizen Lab finds evidence that influence operations against targets in almost 40 countries are now corrupting data. Samba gets a patch as observers fear emergence of a worm. Biometrics and impersonation, experts advise complexity. GDPR is just one year away, but preparation still lags. We hear from the founder of Code Like a Girl, and two noteworthy pieces of legislation are introduced into the U.S. House and Senate. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Friday, May 26, 2017. Observers have come to regard WannaCry as the campaign that brought ransomware to the attention of ordinary individual users, as opposed to the enterprises that have suffered ransomware infestations in the past. One sign of this common touch are the bogus WannaCry remedies currently gurgling around Google's Android Play Store. Don't bite. They won't help you, and they're at best going to wind up as unwanted software. At worst, they're quite malicious. Symantec has stuck with its attribution of WannaCry to the Lazarus Group and the Lazarus Group to North Korea. Critics have emphasized the circumstantial character of the attribution and point to other bits of evidence that suggest other explanations. Flashpoint linguists think the authors of WannaCry spoke Chinese and English. They point out that this doesn't constitute attribution and isn't inconsistent with Symantec's linkage of the ransomware campaign to North Korea. It's additional circumstantial evidence that eventually may contribute to an understanding of WannaCry's origins. It's also worth noting, as Flashpoint itself emphasizes, that there's a large Chinese diaspora and an awful lot of people in many places who are fairly fluent in English. A point they do make is that it seems the authors of the ransomware pass its natural language messages through Google Translate a few times. Whether that's designed to clarify or obfuscate is unclear. It could go either way. A worm that exploited Eternal Rock's vulnerabilities and that seemed to be quietly staging future attacks may have been pulled by its creators, according to researchers at Croatia's CERT. Good news, maybe, but crying victory would be premature. Influence operations targeting the elections of France and the U.S. centered on leaked emails. Some are reckoned to have been damaging, like those affecting the U.S. Democratic National Committee, while others are thought to have had negligible effect, like the emails taken from French President Emmanuel Macron's on Marsh. But in those cases, there were few suggestions, even from the victims, that the stolen emails had been faked or tampered with to make the targets of the influence operations look worse than they otherwise would that may no longer be holding true. A study by the University of Toronto's Citizen Lab finds leaked emails belonging to a Russian journalist and critic of the government were doctored to discredit the opposition. 
Their investigation also led them to a large phishing campaign against more than 200 high-profile targets in 39 countries. Citizen Lab is reticent about attribution, but says there's clear overlap between what they're seeing and evidence others have presented concerning Russian-affiliated threat actors. So while Mr. Podesta may have said all the stuff in those emails, in the future, caveat lector. Data corruption may become as much a part of the information operations playbook as data theft currently does. Reuters reports that hackers acting apparently on behalf of the government of Vietnam are attacking Philippine targets. The larger issue is the dispute over sovereign rights in the South China Sea. This week, Samba, the popular Linux file-sharing system, was found to have a bug that's apparently endured for some seven years. The Samba team patched it Wednesday, and users are urged to apply the patch. Samba is also a significant component in a number of network-attached storage servers. The vulnerability has drawn inevitable comparisons to WannaCry. We heard from security firm Cyfort's Nick Biligorsky. He said, quote, Think of it as eternal blue for Linux, affecting all versions of Samba for the past seven years since 2010. End quote. While there were few signs of exploitation in the wild, Samba has come under attack in the recent past, and Biligorsky thinks there's some risk of a new worm appearing. A proof of concept is already on Metasploit. Quote, I think at this point attackers are already developing ways to weaponize ransomware or other malware with this. End quote. You may have seen reports that a proof-of-concept unlocking of Samsung Galaxy S8's biometrics has been achieved with a camera, a contact lens, and a printer. The demo comes courtesy of Germany's Chaos Computer Club. It's like a sophisticated version of the old gummy bear fingerprint hack, but it points out that simple biometrics aren't necessarily the panacea we might hope for in authentication and identity management. The countdown to GDPR this week entered its final year. The new European Union privacy rules take effect in mid-spring 2018. They'll affect enterprises worldwide. Studies continue to suggest that few are prepared, and time is running out. There are two new proposed bills introduced in the U.S. Congress that bear watching. A revised draft of the Active Cyber Defense Certainty Act, what people are calling the hack-back law, is out. This one includes both mandatory notification and permission for victims to recover or destroy stolen data on the attacker's systems. It seems likely that the bill will undergo further revision before it leaves the House, but U.S. representatives are clearly in a mood to consider a return to mark and reprisal. And in the U.S. Senate, the Department of Homeland Security is the intended beneficiary of the Hack DHS Act. Senators Hassan of New Hampshire and Portman of Ohio introduced the bipartisan measure today with the intention of establishing a pilot bug bounty program for the Department of Homeland Security. The senators point out that since DHS is responsible for securing the .gov domain, they have hopes that this could do for the federal government as a whole what the Hack the Pentagon has begun to do to help secure the Department of Defense. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. 
Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Malek Ben-Salem. She's the Senior Manager of Security and R&D at Accenture Labs. You wanted to share some uh, some information that Accenture has put together, sort of a vision statement about self-sustaining enterprises. What do we need to know about that? Yeah, so doing business today in this new digital ecosystem is different, right? We've, we notice a lot of trends that are increasing the security challenges that companies have to address. Uh, For example, the proliferation of insecure devices, the blur of the physical and uh, the personal and professional lives, the blur of physical also and digital uh, is another trend. And then the third trend is the weaponization of the Internet. All of these trends basically are raising new challenges for companies. So we came up with this concept of a self-sustaining enterprise where self-sustaining here refers to sustaining the business itself, but also being resilient about protecting that business and addressing security threats. Hmm. And what we advocate for is really understanding and assessing trust in a different way in this new ecosystem. So when you're doing business in this environment and dealing with, you know, third parties, partners, vendors, etc., you can think of this as physically as your own neighborhood and visitors are coming and leaving. So who do you trust in that neighborhood, right? If somebody knocks on your door, do you trust that person? Do you let them in? Do you ask them for credentials? Do you what do you do? And similarly, when when you have a business, right, you have uh, all of these devices connecting to your network, whether they're personal or professional devices, meaning that they're owned by the company, do you trust those devices connecting to your network? What do you do if an insecure device tries to access some of your assets? But how do you assess how how much you trust that device? We are encouraging our clients to think about trust-based authentication and assess that level of trust based on the identity that the device proclaims through its own attestation, based on the degree of control that the enterprise has over that device. So whether it's a a corporate device or a third-party device or it's a device owned by a person. And there are several factors that can help with that trust assessment, including uh, what's the exposure to that unknown device Or if the unknown device is added to that neighborhood, can it be used to attack other devices? That could be used not only to assess that trust, but also to build a persistent identity for that device. And when you can track or have that persistent identity, then you can be more confident in the uh, authentication decisions that you make for that device. I see. All right. Interesting stuff as always. Malek Ben Salem, thanks for joining us. 
Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. My guest today is Dinah Davis. She's the director of R&D at Arctic Wolf Networks and founder of Code Like a Girl, an online community that aims to break down the perception that women aren't able to thrive in tech. She started Code Like a Girl in part out of frustration. I was doing a lot of blogging about women in tech and I couldn't find a publication uh, that would take my work or that was really interested in it or fit. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, wow, right now the impact of, of me is just me, but what if it was the impact of all the voices of all the women in tech? And so I thought if I created a publication, uh, I could bring all those voices together and then try to amplify them so more people would hear them so the impact would be bigger. And so in January of 2016, uh, I created a publication and it, it, it took off. It was it's been a lot of work, hard work, but zero followers on day one, 2016. And uh, today we have over 23,000 followers. What, what is the, the typical uh, types of things that we might expect to find on Code Like a Girl? Um, there's actually quite a large range. We have um, a technical section. So. Uh, there's people's experiences being a woman in tech. Uh, there is career advice. There's a whole section on getting kids involved in tech, especially young girls, and how to promote that. And we also have a focus on role models. Uh, so there's a whole page on articles about role models because I think they're one of the key things to changing the view of women in tech and getting more girls and women involved in it. But by day, you are director of R&D at Arctic Wolf Networks. So what was your experience like coming up in the tech world? I mean, it was pretty typical. I remember being in a uh, a computer science class in my university and my university was seven to one women to men. It just happened to be a school where there was a lot of teachers and, and that kind of stuff. And we had a lot of women. Um, but I walked into that computer science class and there was 60 guys and two women. And I was one of the two women. So even in a university where it was completely flipped like that, the computer science was still dominated by men. Um, so that has been pretty typical. I'm usually the only girl, one of the only girls on on a team. And that doesn't hasn't bothered me terribly much. I wish that there was always more women there, but I just kind of at the beginning of my career just took it as a as it was. Um, and then I had a really bad experience and I decided that I didn't really want to stay quiet anymore. Early in my career, was I was a little bit afraid of speaking up that it might impact my career in a bad way. After that experience, I thought, I don't want other women to be going through this too. I'm not going to be quiet anymore. And if a company is not okay with me speaking up about these things, then I don't want to work there. What kind of bad experience did you have? Oh, I just had a terrible boss that was very misogynistic and he was a bully. He was a bully to more than just me, but 
it really just wasn't fun. I didn't stay there very long, and I have since found much better employers, and Arctic Wolf is fantastic. Um, I love working here. Um, we have a female founder and, and a male founder. It gives a really awesome perspective. Um, you have kind of a yin-yang situation there. Their, their personalities are different, so they complement each other. Plus, I'm working in security again, which I love, so... There's certainly a shortage of women throughout tech and and in cybersecurity specifically. Um, We don't do a terribly good job of retaining women who do enter our community. Um, And then even as as things filter up, there are even fewer women up in the C-suite. First of all, what's the importance of, of having women represented at that level? And what can we do to improve the situation? Yeah, I mean, there's lots of studies out there that you can find that shows that if you're C-suite or you're board or just generally your leadership team is more diverse, uh, the company actually performs better. So really, it's there in the numbers and the money. Um, and And I just think different people from different backgrounds, different genders give different perspectives. And you see more so you can react better to changes in the market. You get more... Um, diversity of thought, both from, and it's not just women, it's like diversity of culture, background, gender, that's all important. But the more diversity you have there, the better you can react to when things change in the market. You have more ideas, more experiences to draw from than the single narrative that, you know, the, the older white male has. And so what kinds of things do you think uh, companies can do to better provide a a good work environment for women and to retain them? Um, There's a fantastic article written recently on our our blog, and it it said, um, and the the woman said, I don't want to feel like I'm a minority, but I want to be supported when I am. And, And for me, that like hit it right there. I don't want to feel like I'm somebody who's different. I just want to be treated the same as everyone else. But if there's a problem, I want to be supported. Uh, It's called I'm a Woman in Tech, and This is What I Want in a Company by Leah Mitchell. Um, And she really describes it well. I have to to hand it to her. Uh, She articulated what what women in tech want and I think what most minority groups want in tech. So what do you credit with the, the, the success of Code Like a Girl? What do you think is the reason that it's resonated so well? I think what resonates with them is that it's their stories. Um, these are real stories. These aren't studies. These are things that people have experienced. Or they're advice from real people who are in the industry. You get to find out about role models and, and people you look up to and they, they write about what they've learned and how they did things. To me, this has been about building a community to support other women in tech and then using that community to raise awareness to people who are outside it. That's Dinah Davis from Code Like a Girl. The website is code.likeagirl.io. And that's the CyberWire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Hi, everybody. It's Maria Varmazas here, your host over at T-Minus Space Daily, 
and sometimes a guest on Hacking Humans, too. We here at N2K CyberWire work hard to bring you concise, intelligence-driven news and commentary, and we'd like to know how we're doing. Please take a few minutes to complete our audience survey and share your feedback to help us continue to grow and meet your needs. Visit cyberwire.com slash survey. That's cyberwire.com slash survey to get started. Thanks so much for your input as we reach for the stars. It means the universe to us. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the dark net, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Cyberwire. 